My name is Jerry Whiting, and this is my podcast. Occupy COVID-19. My name is Jerry Whiting, and this is the first of what I hope is a series of podcasts about coronavirus, COVID-19. I live in Seattle, Washington, which was an epicenter, the original epicenter, ground zero for coronavirus here in the U.S., I have a couple points I'd like to share. I'm sure you're obsessed with the news, but I have a different perspective, I humbly submit. Number one, when uh, Wuhan was infected and we knew it was going to spread, someone somewhere or some group of government officials decided to do screening at five and only five airports. As I recall, they were places that had direct flights from Wuhan to the U.S., for some reason, I cannot fathom, SeaTac Airport here in Seattle was not on the list. We consider ourselves a pack rim city, as in Pacific Rim. A, Boeing builds planes here. B, Alaska Airlines has a hub here, headquartered here. And not everyone who travels to Asia flies home nonstop. Anyway, passengers coming in to SeaTac were not screened. A man was put into isolation in Everett on January 21st, the first such case in the U.S. The second failure, <clears throat> friends have been calling me, put it this way, friends have been contacting me, knowing that I live in Seattle, thinking that I'm under threat from coronavirus. Yes, I live in Seattle. I live in Seattle proper. I live in the city. The uh, Life Care Center nursing home that was the original catastrophe is in Kirkland, which is 10 miles as the crow flies, but I haven't set foot in Kirkland for four years, you know? Uh, so social distance, a real, real distance, it might as well be 500 miles away. That said, the greater Seattle area, Washington State, but specifically the greater Seattle area, suffered from the pandemic way before anyone else. Now, here we are on the 7th of April, 2020. Washington State has been quite successful getting in front of this and flattening the curve even though there was obviously a period when it was spread without anyone knowing because no one was looking for it. So, there are several reasons why Washington and Seattle in particular has been able to flatten the curve even though it exploded at first. Some of them are cultural, some of them are political. Let's do the politics first. I've lived here for 30 some years. I'm impressed with the local politicians. The mayor, city council, the county, King County, which includes Seattle and Kirkland. Um, though Everett is in Snohomish County, it's about 40 miles away. And Governor Inslee, who I gotta tell you, this guy is a hero. He's not just a politician, he is a true leader. He's gotten out in front, spoken honestly, compassionately, 
and backed by science. Which brings me to another point. You know, viruses are, as someone said, I read somewhere, somewhere between chemistry and biology. They don't have neurons, let alone thoughts, an agenda, a mission statement. They are bundles of DNA in a thin wrapper that come into your cells, take them over, uh, replicate themselves, uh, often repairing your DNA in the process, and uh, they're just the ultimate parasitical weapon. So, let's get something straight. Viruses have, to, have only one agenda, and that's to replicate. They need a host, which right now for coronavirus is us. So, it is a virus, Antiseptic, antibacterial, and antiviral are not synonyms. So yes, you should keep your house and your possessions and your kids clean because it offloads your immune system. But I got news for you. Wiping down with an antibacterial has no impact on coronavirus. So uh, uh, please, learn a little chemistry. Our lives depend upon it. The other reason that uh, people in Seattle were able to get in front of this, when the tech giants told people to work at home, tens of thousands of people retreated behind their front door. We're talking Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and every other software company, which has a huge presence here in Seattle. So the minute the tech giants sent their workers home, the streets got empty. You can drive 85 miles an hour on I-5 through Seattle 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I've lived here 30 odd years. This is like rolling the traffic clock back 20 years. It's wonderful. The other thing is, Seattle is different culturally. Uh, it has a strong Scandinavian uh, uh, heritage. Uh, it has people, because of tech and medicine and the University of Washington, above average intelligence. People are health-oriented. I dare say it skews young because of the influx of tech workers in their 20s, early 30s. And church attendance is low. So, people here are smart enough to connect the dots and realize that if they play by the rules, we're all going to do better. And given that it's the Northwest, it has this strong democratic socialist cooperative heritage. For example, REI, the big outdoor retail store, chain, giant, began here in Seattle as a co-op. In fact, to this day, it is a co-op. I shop at a co-op. Pizza Consumer Co-op is a 14-store chain. And these are not little storefronts. These are shopping. You know, these are regular supermarkets. Um, Boeing Employees Credit Union is huge because Boeing at one point dominated the city. So there's this cooperative sharing na <clears throat> nature and culture in Seattle that encourages non-selfish behavior. So people aren't going to cheat that much because they know we're all in this together. And a lot of us made up our mind when faced with this pandemic I intend on surviving, motherfucker, whatever it takes. If I have to stay at home, if I have to wash my hands every hour on the hour, 
if I have to not see my kids and granddaughter, hey, we all intend to survive. So people are doing the right thing individually and collectively. The schools closed early, unlike the delay in New York City. The public libraries and community centers closed as well. At first, people went on, they didn't treat it casually, it was taken seriously, but it was in good nature. So here it is, Tuesday, April 7th. I gotta say about five or six days ago, the mood in this city changed. Not that people were breaking stride in their behavior with social distancing, but their people's faces are more tightly drawn. They're, there's, it's not doom and gloom, but um, things are settling in. And I think as we look at the curves, uh, you know, how, if we try to flatten the curves and get feedback, we realize there is no date. First of all, Trump ain't popular in Seattle. Never has been. But really, the date depends upon us. No one's going to tell, tell us what the, the end date is or the peak date. The peak depends upon each and every one of our behavior. If we isolate, we'll get over this quickly with the least impact possible. So the goal is to identify, <clears throat> first of all, we need massive amounts of testing. Right now, the sampling rate from state to state, city to city is not consistent. And the numbers are guesstimates at best, but they do highlight trends. Here's what's gonna happen. There are places like Italy and now New York City that are just catastrophic blooms of, of this virus. And it, uh, lots of people, overwhelmed first responders and healthcare workers, my hearts go out to all of you. And, and then you have uh, retail workers, uh, service workers, uh, people who are um, uh, uh, challenged economically and health-wise to begin with, who are bearing the burden. Those who are working in retail, those who are driving trucks and buses and subways, those who are delivering mail and packages, and God forbid, the people who work for Amazon, Walmart, and the other mega retailers. So we're going to get to a point, hopefully, where there's testing on a granular local level and we'll be able to see trends and do um, public health outreach to um, address the uh, geospecific threats within that locale. For example, there are states in the South with Republican mayors and conservative Christians who think this is a fucking Democratic hoax and they're not doing the right thing by shutting down the state including the beaches or Mardi Gras. Absolutely wrong. Now, I find it humorous in a dark, dark way that the pastors who are holding these megachurch prayer meetings to, to um, uh, cast out the devil or the sinners or whatever the fuck they're doing, and they're dying themselves. So we're going to end up, if we had a magic wand that would give me real-time uh, stats by zip code, by county, however you want to break it down, we're going to see trends and patterns. 
Now, there is no national or even average uh, that works across the board. It's going to be a game of whack-a-mole. Right now, the resource of the attention, obviously, is in New York, but we also have up-and-comings like New Orleans, Chicago, uh, Detroit, Los Angeles, that early intervention will result in the minimal spread in the shortest amount of time, flattening the curve. So whack-a-mole is going to go on for a while. But then you have to address vectors of transmission. How does the virus travel? People don't think about it, but there are a couple of hot spots that we need to be really careful about, way more than wearing masks in public. Pin pads at the ATM in every retail cash register in the country, and gas pumps. Coronavirus lives for a long time, for days, on steel. So when you have metal surfaces like the pin pad, when you get money from an ATM or buy anything, or gas pumps become vectors of transmission. I carry a sandwich baggie with torn up paper towels soaked in alcohol, and I have my own wipes. So when I go to the ATM, I wipe the whole thing down, including the screen, because it's a touch screen as well as the touchpad. I do my whole thing, and then when I retrieve my card, I wipe the card out because there might be coronavirus inside the ATM itself. And then as a courtesy to my community, I take another wipe and wipe down the ATM on my exit. Gas pumps. Even more than ATMs, you're likely to use a gas pump far away from your home or your work. You're in your car. You're traveling. Say you get somewhere, realize when you get ready to return home or go to your next destination, you realize it's time to buy gas. In ordinary citizens, the rest of us, we can transmit as asymptomatic carriers the virus far and wide by simply going about our everyday business without consideration. The consideration is metal surfaces are hot zones. Treat them as such. Wipe them down. Wash your hands. Be like a raccoon. Wash your hands without even thinking about it. I don't know what the end of this is, but I do know that we're not going to pick up where we left off. Life post-COVID-19 is going to be different. Consider this, for example. All of these world leaders and diplomats travel around uh, at a quick pace, uh, photo op, shaking hands, hugging, etc., etc., and they have relationships between all of the ruling class. What if a significant portion of the ruling class dies from coronavirus? And what if it goes not just the politicians we see, but the, uh, the, uh, the helpmates and the generals and the admirals? What if this wipes out a significant portion of leadership, maybe even disproportionately among nations? A viral coup, if you will. Hashtag Victory Garden. Uh, people are buying seeds and soil and planting all over. People are going to grow their own food, which offloads uh, our dependence upon farmers because farmers living in small isolated communities 
with inadequate resources and access to health care. When a farm community gets infected, whether it's the, the grange, the elk, the church, or the diner, it will spread quickly. They have limited access to advanced medical care. So people are going to grow their own food. And once they get into it, a significant portion of the population will continue to do so, in part because we're going to have to. So people are going to get laid off in mass and in very weird patterns. And people have bills to pay. People need to survive. So I'm not so much concerned about crime taking this, you know, skyrocketing thing, crime against, you know, property crimes. I do see people moving from gig economy to micro-entrepreneurial activities, little side hustle. For example, here in Washington State, barbershops, hair salons, nail salons, gyms, um, uh, massage, all of these, these industries, these businesses were shut down. A couple of my friends have noticed their hair's gotten long and they're long overdue for a haircut. Now, a licensed barber or hairdresser, first of all, they have a license and um, uh, cheating on, on uh, working outside of the scope of that license, you can lose it, get fined or worse. So what are we going to have? Um, I'm not encouraging customers or uh, stylist barbers to do such. But inevitably, people are going to need to get haircuts, whether it's barter or cash under the table on the down low. Things like that are going to happen. And if you do have a victory garden, I hope you share it with your neighbors, with strangers, with the world, with the food bank. But in some situations, families will have enough. My ex-mother-in-law, God bless her, used to call this pin and egg money. She was a farm girl. And, you know, you took in sewing or laundry or you had chickens with more eggs than you needed. You had a little pin and egg money, you know. And so uh, I think people are going to have a little side hustle, a little underground economy, just like in the Soviet era. Student schools education. What a vexing problem. So we're going to have to nix the 2019-2020 school year. And I'm really, really feeling for the juniors and seniors, high school juniors and seniors, who had their future all laid out, or in terms of seniors, or juniors trying to get their grades and, and, uh, and scores on the standardized test in order to apply. And guess what? It ain't happening. The, the colleges and universities closed before the, the public schools. And this is a write-off. Yesterday, Jay Inslee, the governor here in Washington, wisely closed the schools for this year till you know mid-June. The school year is over. People aren't going back. The issue is there are educational, there are online educational platforms that are available, but they're not widely deployed. And it people, we were all caught cross-court, flat-footed by the pandemic. And so there's no existing inertia to provide students and parents an opportunity to carry on 
public school education without face-to-face, -face, without meeting in meat space, as we say. So, so we're going back to family units. Obviously, if you live together, um, you're now stuck together, parents and kids. I pray for those who are victims of domestic violence and abuse. Oh, money, pay me home. Oh, money, pay me home. Oh, money, pay me home. So I see people isolating in what I call pods. And I use the term, though I've never seen one, having lived here in the Northwest, uh, orca whales, these family groups. And so often it's, you know, that idyllic uh, Norman Rockwell, mom, dad, brother, sister, and the dog and the cat. But you have, fa you know, families take all manner and shapes and sizes. If we lock down in the smallest unit possible, venture outside of our homes as infrequently as we can, practice social distance and hygiene fastidiously, as long as pod one and pod two have the same SOP manual, the same standards, the same protocol, the same practices, and if pod one and pod two trusts each other, those pods will merge. Kids can go between, people can, can have brunch, my God, dinner parties, movie nights with popcorn and streaming services. And just like key signing and cryptography, you're going to have um, uh, these family units, these pods get larger in this organic merging matter. A balkanization, mm, it's, it, yes it is, but for protective reasons, not, not out of hatred. We can do this. It's sort of like the clans form tribes and then the tribes form nations. We aren't gonna pick up where we left off before. And the world won't have the same actors in the same places. And I worked in software for three, 30, three, 30 some years, I mean, just a long time. And for a lot of that, auto ID barcodes and God forbid the global supply chain. The supply chain is, it ain't doing well. So the centralization worked for a while. And we had these these 800 pound gorillas like Walmart and Amazon, um, economies of scale, offshore labor, taking advantage of the disparity between um, the cost of labor and materials in the third world and consumer dollars, especially US dollars in the developed world. And now that you know, balance has been shattered because uh, uh, containers are backed up on the ocean um, we're dependent now that we're not shopping at the mom and pop store, undoubtedly shuttered in many cases, if not now soon, and having things delivered from Walmart, uh, Amazon, and you're shopping at Trader Joe's and Costco in between. The problem is these big chains depend upon big warehouses and a big supply chain. And when that network of physical goods staffed by people gets contaminated that virus moves along with that 
And when someone is delivering packages, whether at the U U.S. Mail, um, uh, Amazon, Fresh, uh, uh, FedEx, UPS, whatnot, that's a vector of transmission. And so I've quit ordering from Amazon. I'm no big fan of Jeff Bezos, never have been. But the idea of receiving things where the package itself and the contents can be contaminated scares the shit out of me. It also puts the workers at risk. We know that Bezos is a non-taxpaying, selfish son of a bitch. And they're beginning to strike and organize with my support. I absolutely love that idea. But this is the weak link. What used to be the strength in the consumer economy is gonna has come back to haunt us. So I have no idea how this is all going to shake out. If Amazon implodes, um, uh, short term, we're up the creek. The good news is the DARPA-funded Internet was built on a backbone to withstand a nuclear attack, multiply redundant. As long as the integrity of the Internet holds up, civilization can proceed in a stumbling manner. The nice thing is, to date, the pandemic has not impacted the electrical grid, municipal water supplies, or sewage, but those are staffed by humanoids. That could be part of the whack-a-mole problem. It's not that a lot of people are sick, but the people for your local utility company, you know, pass something around, and now there's not enough people to man this, excuse me, not enough people to staff, the switches, knobs, and dials, and dashboards required to run the infrastructure that we depend on. So it ain't all doom and gloom. Go out, take a walk. Look the person you're passing on the sidewalk in the eye. Reach out and make a human connection. We're all in this together. We can all get through it together. The reason I'm calling this Occupy COVID-19, yeah, I was uh, active in the Occupy movement here in Seattle and the WTO battle in Seattle before that. So I think as a community, a community of pods, we can survive because in this sense, the pandemic is giving us front row seats at a time-lapse chunk of evolution. Unfortunately, we're the species in the diorama. This is our dinosaur era. The comet hit. Tell you what, I'm one of those little mammals that runs around between the dying dinosaurs. I don't know about you, but like Jerry sings to us, I will get by. I will survive. My name is Jerry Whiting. This is my podcast. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Love your neighbors. We will get by.